This is an Equity Beats Media podcast. Here we go. Money conversations in early stages of relationships are difficult. I compromise all the time. We face harder choices. We got the house. No, my mother said, when you get older, I wish you'd hurry and get older so that you would settle down and marry a rich man. And I said, Mom, I am a rich man. Welcome to our third episode of Meet, Pay, Love, where we talk money and relationships. I'm Carmel and I'm joined with my sister Zoe. Hello. As always, we'd like to start off by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land in which we are recording and listening to this podcast on. We want to acknowledge the elders, past, present and emerging. So today we're talking about financial red flags in a relationship. Because 31% of people in a relationship have hidden financial secrets from their partner, according to Canstar. And although this may seem like a small percentage, 3% of people in relationships have secret accounts from their partner that other people aren't aware of. But I sure wouldn't want to be in that 3%. I'm just going to wave that red flag right here, right now. <laughs> Why? Do you have a secret account? No. I'm not. Wa- I'm just acknowledging that it's a red flag. I'm not waving my own. <laughs> but what do you mean by... I've- financial red flag well I consider a financial red flag to be something that you see in the early stages of a relationship or down the track and you think oh that doesn't feel right to me that doesn't look good to me and it might be a sign that bad things are on the horizon <laughs> bad things are yet to come be right? bumps if you will <laughs> <laughs> so everyone's idea of red flags is different but we're just going to discuss a few that we went to our friends and asked what kind of red flags do you consider one person said when someone has multiple credit cards mm, or overspending above their means yep or saying things like and you, my friends do this sometimes not just in romantic relationships but they might say you know, you've agreed to go to an event and they might say, oh, I can't pay until my payday. I'm broke until Thursday this week. Well, I think as well, a lot of my friends are just joining the workforce now and we are a lot of casual workers. So that's actually not that alarming to me. I feel like each red flag is different depending on what person it is. I think it depends on your personal preferences. Yeah, I guess so. And like, if you're an overspender, say, and you meet someone on a first date and they're an overspender, then win-win. Everyone's spending. I feel like that's a lose-lose situation. (laughs) (laughs) Another example that a friend gave us was meeting someone and discussing finances and they might give you a bit of insecurity or they might start mansplaining to you like oh, this is how I do things and this is what I think you should do and not really encouraging you or respecting your own ways with money. A lot of my female friends have seen this when they're confident with their money and how they're spending it and they go on a date or they talk to a male counterpart or could be female, but they get mansplained for what they're doing and they're like, bro, I know, I've already said this. I'm doing it. I've put my money in this situation. Yeah. And in our previous interview, we spoke to Glenn Hare, a financial advisor, and he gave us an example where he was very good with money. That was his career. And he was dating someone who wasn't very good with money. But although they've got different approaches to money, they were able to work together and communicate and come to a common goal. But a red flag for me is when you're not able to talk about it and you're not able to reach those common goals. Yeah. Or if you feel guilty for spending your own money and someone's making you feel guilty or making you feel insecure about how you want to spend your money and what your financial goals are. So one of my friends sent us in a voice message and we're going to throw to Paul now and he's going to explain a red flag that he saw in his relationship. My name is Paul. I'm approximately uh, four and a half years old because after 30 we count in dog years and currently I'm living in London. I, I work 
uh, in admin, clerical, full time. I, I guess I'd call myself pretty, pretty much a regular guy. Um, I've been lucky. I haven't, you know, had to contend with anyone else's um, sexually transmitted debt or anything like this. Um, so I'm, I'm lucky like that. But I, I was once chatting with with a guy and like I won't call it dating but we'd caught up a few times and he seemed friendly enough and I lent him some money because he said he needed it to tide him over and he said oh yeah and I'll pay you back on a certain date which we agreed and when I asked him about it he got snooty and I'm like don't get upset at me for holding you accountable as I've become older I've become a lot more confident in telling someone that actually I'm not really interested in meeting up with them. I know when I was younger, that felt awkward. I really like Paul's vibe because he's not saying, oh, woe is me, I'm a victim, I, I lent someone money and they didn't give it back, boohoo. He's being like, no, I said give it back to me on this date and he's standing up for himself. I personally don't know if I would give money in that certain situation. I think he was being pretty generous there, but I know everyone's got different views on that. I probably lend someone some money I don't think that money's that important <laughs> I know um, take that back I always have the best expectation that they'll pay me back but it depends on how much like I'm not going to lend someone a couple hundred bucks but I'd probably do it up to like 50 pretty happily and not really expect it to be paid back yeah it depends on the circumstances like if it was you I mean I've had times where I for some reason couldn't access money in an account like internet down or something and you transferred me money and then I transferred you back like <laughs> we have that relationship but I don't know if I would with a complete stranger it did take you a while to transfer it back I'm not gonna lie it didn't. took a couple of weeks so we've talked about red flags what they look like how they look to different people and how everyone responds to them all differently what we really want to learn is what to do once you see a red flag in a relationship. And so that's why we reached out to Sarah of Ship Psychology, which is for sexual health and intimacy psychology services. We spoke to Sarah all about financial red flags and how to respond to them. Sarah practices primarily in Fitzroy, Melbourne, and we absolutely loved this interview. I found Sarah amazing and very eloquent in how she phrased things on very sensitive topics. We're going to just play the whole interview through and then come back at the end and talk about what we were able to take away. So why don't we start off with um, you telling us a little about who you are, what it is you do, and a bit about ships. Yeah, so I'm the director and the founder of SHIPS and SHIPS stands for Sexual Health and Intimacy Psychological Services. So it's the first practice in Australia and as far as I know the world that focuses specifically on sexual health and intimacy through a psychological lens. So this means that we have psychologists using evidence-based psychological frameworks and treatment to address issues that relate to sexual health and, and intimacy and how mental health might intersect with them. We also advertise ourselves as being king-friendly, poly-friendly, LGBTIQ plus inclusive, sex work positive and disability inclusive. So we often get people coming to ships because they want to feel safe and because they're part of these communities and they might be seeking more kind of support for some mental health related issue rather than a sexual issue. So they're kind of the two broad banners of clientele that we address. So what would you say is your rough demographic of your clients, like age-wise, gender-wise? Do you see trends of like more, maybe more females or males or uh, non-binary people? On the whole, for psychology treatment in general and in terms of our 
target market. The majority of our clients are cis women between the ages of 25 and 35. And then the leftover proportion is sort of scatterings of mostly cis men and then 20% of non-binary trans folk. And so out of that sort of demographic, what percentage of your clients have financial difficulties or have come to you with financial difficulties that has affected their mental health? I think the thing to say from the outset is that finances are intertwined with relationships. So if we think about relationships, relationships are an exchange of energy. And if we think about what money is in its essence, it's commodifiable energy. So you go out, you invest time, money, emotional input. You might have spent time previously uh, learning and putting time and energy into education. So there's also kind of a, a debt that you're, you're putting into that time as well. And then in exchange, you get money, you get cash, right? So if we think about what relationships involve, they involve us, you know, investing in another person, whether that be emotionally, whether that be in terms of the time and effort we put in, whether that's in terms of the focus and physical energy in our life, right? So money is one way that we can do that. So, of course, if we're seeing people for relationship issues, money is always part of the way that people function in relationships because it's how people function in life. So do you find that when people are sort of having these problems with money in their relationships, is there a trend of them not discussing money with their partner? I think what's interesting is that a lot of the time people both have independently a relationship with money that they learn from a young age, maybe modeled by our parents and through some of those early experiences that we have in our life. But we also learn how we behave in relationships. And a lot of cis women learn to be self-sacrificing and they learn to be subservient in relationships. And this is kind of a flow and effect from perhaps what was modelled by their parents and what they saw in their mothers because that was really part of gender and cultural norms a generation ago. So what women learn, and this is all subconsciously, right, is in order to be lovable, in order to be a good partner, you need to be self-sacrificing, you need to be subservient. And if we look historically about at gender roles and finance, it was men who went out and earned money and it was women who engaged in unpaid labor and such as domestic duties and looking after children right and so men had control over finances and women often had to ask for money right they were often not involved in financial discussions so if there's any kind of mirroring or anything that is learned from their parents then oftentimes even women of our generation to have some of these ideas internalized. So that really translates to a lot of complex things when it comes to money. So one thing that I hear people speak about is perhaps if a woman's really doing quite well financially, she might worry how it might feel for her partner who's earning less, how that's going to impact on the dynamic of the relationship. Like, oh, will they be, will they be intimidated? Will this be a turn off? You know, even just in the process of, of, of dating. Right. And then it might make discussions about money really difficult as well, because it becomes a sensitive topic because perhaps for men, cis men, there's an attachment to ego, to their perception of masculinity, right? So it can be a really sensitive topic on, on many, many levels for this reason. 
And there might be a tendency to sort of say, well, actually, I won't invest in understanding in money or I won't invest in finances because that's not aligned with this kind of gendered perception, right? So also women are not enabling themselves with knowledge and understanding. And then if we think about, okay, if they have learned to be self-sacrificing, as soon as there's an opportunity to do that when it comes to money, perhaps it might be the case that lots of women will easily give away money to not just the their partner, but perhaps their partner's family. And that that's something that they do without understanding the importance of their own boundaries and their own value. If you don't understand your own value, then you're also not understanding the value of your time, the value of your energy, and therefore your value and the relationship that that has with money. So there's all sorts of (laughs) complex things that start happening with money, but it usually is all connected with the existing kind of perception of yourself, your own value, and the perception that you have of boundaries within relationships. So you really start to see some patterns in terms of people's psychological makeup and what they do with their money. And do you you think that because of this psychological makeup and this value that they're putting on it, do you think that's why money is such a difficult sort of topic to discuss within a relationship or a community because people are putting it more, Mm. they're relating their value to the value of the money that they've got in their possession? I think something interesting that happens a lot of the time is that people often assume that other people think the same way that they do about money. And if you think about all the money behaviors that exist in our everyday life, so you go out to dinner with a group of friends, right? Do you all pay for what you had to eat? Do you split the bill evenly between you? Or is someone kind of generous and goes, you know, I'll shout it and then you guys might shout next time. And so there are all these different behaviors like, oh, what's a priority when it comes to spending money? So you have these bills due, but maybe for one person, oh, it's actually worth more to go out and have fun and and have some drinks with their friends, right? Because they really want to blow off some steam and they're not thinking about the responsibilities that they have. So it really, in every sort of section of life, you start to have all these kind of money behaviors that we, we may not even really be conscious of. And so if you look at then what happens in a relationship is that you're with another person who has completely different money behaviors than you. And then you've got to figure out a way to make them work and to understand where that other person is coming from. And if you don't talk about it, then there's absolutely going to be conflict. There's going to be resentment and potentially it's just going to continue to compile. So I think the important thing is that you know yourself, you know your own patterns in relationship to money, and then you also get to know your partner or partner's patterns in relationship to money and that you have open conversations to understand that without it being a loaded topic that's filled with criticism. Because it's really about understanding, collaborating and being on the same page so that you can work together as a unit. You've touched on quite a few examples already, things like feeling not embarrassed, but just conscious that they might earn more money and that that's a real sore point or something that's on their mind. Do you have any other examples of how this practically plays out? Do you see trends that consistent themes that you see come up time and time again? It starts to get really complex. Like if say, for example, this is something that the cis man partner is is sensitive about and let's just throw in a personality disorder and 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 a tendency to engage in abusive behavior you know there might actually then be a tendency to punish or to lash out in response to this feeling of inadequacy it might be that they feel like they need to overcompensate in some way or that 
the woman needs to kind of minimize or not share financial successes. It might mean that the partner starts to say, well, you earn more, so you should pay for this. You should, you should pay for us to do this or start to manipulate or put pressure on them to pay for things. So depending on the viewpoint of the partner, right, if they don't respect that and they don't respect the, the boundary and the, the energy that that person has put into earning this money, then it can be a source of manipulation. It can start to tip into a dynamic of abuse. And that's unfortunately something that that absolutely, you know, is very present. And I, I think just more commonly, I suppose it would just be difficulties navigating boundaries. So what do I do if somebody asks me for money? Is it okay? How much money should I be giving someone if they've, let's just say they've offered to do like a task for you? Is it polite to offer them money for that? Or is it just a generous thing that they do? You know, so there's all these questions around what's socially appropriate, what's appropriate in relationships. I don't know if you've heard of love languages before, right? So some people want to express love through buying gifts or giving money, and that's really important to them and they love doing that. And some people like receiving that and there's nothing wrong with that. But in balance of everything else, there has to be really clear ideas around is there an exchange of equality in terms of all the energies within the relationship and are there really clear expectations around what this means? And if there's any obligations in terms of paying it back, is everyone clear and on the same page about those expectations? And that gets really muddy when people have completely different relationships with money or if they don't respect and appreciate the other person. What are some of the red flags and danger signs that you would want young people to look out for and I think this question can extend to behavioral issues sexual issues that you would want younger people to really look out for and take note of well I think one thing to keep in mind is that some of the most toxic behaviors that can start sort of snowballing on the individual level with money is when you use buying things or spending as a form of self-soothing. So there's lots of things that people do to self-soothe. That can be like eating, drinking, sex, walking, mindfulness, you know, the list goes on. And some of those things are result in kind of long-term positive impacts. And some of those things result in long-term um, not so great impacts, right? If someone is using money and buying things in order to feel better about themselves or to soothe themselves when things happen, so they go on like impulse spend online or something like that when they've had a bad day, that's a red flag, right? Because that can easily kind of continue to escalate and really cause, not only can it cause financial difficulties, it also indicates that maybe this person hasn't developed some other kind of healthy coping strategies for, for managing stuff. And that will have like further implications for the relationship and for that person's mental health in general. And obviously there are other things like risk-taking behavior or gambling that can come up in relation to money. So if someone's engaging in any sort of risky financial decisions, I mean, obviously there's a kind of a spectrum of that and that someone can be very educated when they do that and they can do that kind of sensibly. And, you know, that can be different to say someone who's going to the casino every Saturday night. So really it's all about context and it's about why is this person doing what they're doing? But if they're doing it as a form of emotional soothing, they're engaged in this kind of gambling cycle, then that's definitely a red flag. Another red flag is secrecy. So, you know, is this person being transparent about what they earn? Are they trying to do things that inflate the perception of how much they earn? So borrowing their friend's car for your date or taking you to a really fancy restaurant when they really can't afford that. All of these things are sort of suggesting that they think that 
money is important for their self-worth and money is important to impress you. And so that's giving you an indication about their relationship with money, right? So if it doesn't go well, then they might start feeling really bad about themselves. If you're earning more than them, then they might that might really be a source of contention in the relationship. And also it's going to mean that that's how they kind of prioritize their life. And have a think about that. Have a think about your values and the things that you think are important and that make you the person you want to be. Is that consistent with somebody who thinks that the most important thing about themselves is how much money they make and the appearance that that gives to the world around them? So all of these things are just worth thinking about. And of course, there'd be like really kind of overt red flags. Like if someone pressures you into spending money, if someone tries to manipulate you into making a financial decision or you know, into giving them money or spending the money. If someone takes your details, that means that you can't log into your financial accounts or they try and get them. If they stop you from doing the things that allow you to have, you know, money like going to work. Yeah, engage in any sort of behavior that involves taking power over the finances that you earn. All of those would be red flag behaviors. You're listening to Meet, Pay, Love. My name is Zoe and I'm here with my sister Carmel and we are discussing all things money and relationships. We're going to take a quick break right now as we hear from our sponsors and then when we come back, we'll hear more from Sarah from Ship Psychology. Sometimes you might see a couple red flags, but you don't, you, you're kind of blinded to it or you think, oh, this is not really that bad. I can deal with that. You know, dating can be quite difficult as it is. You've met someone who you really click with and then you might find something like they have a significant amount of debt behind them, but otherwise you think they're a great person for you. What advice do you have to someone who's in that position? When is the time to walk away or what, what, what are you meant to do? I think the most important thing is to understand why why this is going on, what's behind it. You know, there's a really big difference between someone who has a lot of debt because they've, they have a hex debt versus somebody who has a lot of debt because they've, they've got a spending habit and they've got, you know, money on a credit card. There's really big difference. So what's the behaviors that are connected to it? What are the patterns and how does this relate to their mental health? How does this relate to their respect to other people and the boundaries in their relationship? And what would be the long-term impact of someone behaving in this way? And I think that for a lot of women that I've spoken to, they might have the habit of taking on projects or thinking that they can help the person that they're with. So, oh, he's so great in all these other ways. And sure, he has a spending habit and it's got a bit out of control, but he really wants to change and he really wants to do better. Now, of course, I'm in the business of people changing. I'm in the business of people helping themselves. But I also know how hard it is to change and it's hard and it involves a lot of commitment and It does not happen when it's just the person in the relationship that you're with who wants you to change. It's not enough. And it also sets up a dynamic in a relationship, which is toxic. If you're in a relationship with someone and the only reason you're with them is because you think it'll be okay when they change, then you should not be with them because that sets up resentment and it sets up this constant feeling of unease and a dynamic of, of, you know, from the other person's perspective, they're now under pressure to change themselves in order to keep the relationship. That's not a condition under which they can change. Now, that's not to say that, of course, we want to keep evolving as people and like keep working on ourselves. And of course, there's work involved in relationships and, and developing all that. But if it's a fundamental thing, you know, like a really significant problem, such as gambling or abusive behavior or spending habits that, that are involved in self-soothing that indicate a more significant mental health problem, then really have a think about 
what do I want for relationships and, and not just now, but in the future? And what does their behavior tell me about their ability to be a good partner for me? So what can our listeners do? I think there's probably two categories. There's the person that's in that situation. It's them, they're experiencing this. And then I also want to ask about what can you do if your friend or family or you feel passionate about this issue, how can you support as a third person that's outside the direct situation? So I think that seeking financial advice is pretty important, but that's not my kind of area of of specialty. But, you know, really kind of getting some practical advice is just so important and is empowering, you know. So I think that that's first and foremost, you know, something that would be really useful for anyone, you know, um, let alone if someone is in an abusive situation or a situation which is not healthy for them. But look, it's it's really difficult when, you know, you're standing outside and you're, you know, you're watching somebody perhaps be um, abused in some way, or you think that their partner's using them, or you're concerned about their spending habits. It's really hard to do that in a way which is not going to offside because all of these things, we can be in denial about them. We can be subconscious for us, then maybe not something that we're aware of. So I think that Public conversations like this podcast are incredibly useful in that context because people who are listening to this may not be people who are even thinking about going to therapy, right? But they might hear some of these ideas and they might go, oh, yeah, that's part of my relationship or, yeah, I've done that. And that might signal them to kind of think more about it and, you know, understand more about it and then maybe sort of seek out help. There's a lot of barriers to people seeking out help and support, you know, because there is still unfortunately stigma attached to psychological care and support but honestly we have people from all walks of life people who are functioning successful people who just want to understand more about themselves and they maybe just want a better life you don't need to be quote-unquote unwell you don't need to be kind of in immense suffering to benefit from psychology everyone can benefit from psychology and you understanding what's going on on a psychological level when it comes to money is just so important because that's where it all stems from any kind of problematic behavior is in your mind and it doesn't matter if you kind of know how to budget or you you have you know you get financial advice if you're not healing the relationship that you have with money if you're not understanding how to talk about it in your relationship and engaging in really kind of open discussions with your partner then these problems are going to arise and all of those problems relate to your own psychology and the the functioning of your relationship and we don't learn about this anywhere right it's like <laughs> where do we learn about this nowhere And so for someone who might be in a relationship where they see their partner as being untruthful about their money, other than reaching out and getting support while they're in that process, what are some other practical steps that they can take to either approach their partner or protect themselves mentally and securely and financially in that sort of relationship? So if we come from the perspective in these conversations that we have with loved ones where we give people the benefit of the doubt. There's things that I don't know, there's things that I don't understand about you because, yes, there are people who, you know, engage in kind of deliberate and malicious behaviour, but they're a small percentage. Most people might be doing things because they're just trying to protect themselves at the end of the day and they're just trying to protect their own ego. So if we kind of approach them with connection, we approach them with the benefit of the doubt, And then we ask them, you know, what's going on and to to understand and to explore 
what might be be happening for them what are they afraid of what's you know what's the function of this behavior what does it do for them why did they feel like they couldn't talk about it there might be factors in the relationship that mean that they don't feel like they can trust or be open about these things but at the end of the day if they have been deceitful about money that is a betrayal of trust within the relationship and it should be treated as such and that's really important that it's taken seriously from your perspective and that there's an understanding that this behavior is not okay that it's not part of building a a healthy relationship it's also really important that you reflect on and that you understand your own boundaries when it relates to, to money and relates to the topic and that you make those boundaries and your needs in this context clear to your partner in the process of this communication so that you're listening but you're also making your boundaries really clear Um, and sometimes it can be really helpful if these types of conversations are difficult for you to be supported by a relationship therapist. So anything you wish anyone heading into a serious relationship considered before the relationship started or got more serious? I think that the most important thing to consider is that there is no one size fits all when it comes to finances and relationships and you need to do what's right for you so there are lots of different options in terms of arranging your finances in a relationship and it doesn't have to be connected with how much you care about someone so if you want to keep your savings to yourself or you know you want to be financially independent then that doesn't mean that you don't love the other person or that you're not expressing love to them. There are lots of different ways of exchanging energy and love in relationships and money can be one of that, but it doesn't have to be. So it's really important that you just do what is right for you and that you understand what your relationship is and what your priorities are with money. Spend some time thinking about it and spend some time talking to other people about it and get some ideas because, as I was saying to start off with, it's a taboo topic and people often feel uncomfortable. So they're not really aware of like all these different options when it comes to prioritizing and thinking about where you put your money and how you, what sort of strategies are available and on what priority you place on savings. So I think it's really important that we arm ourselves with knowledge and that we remember that we have choices. Thanks so much, Sarah. I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. And I think one of the main things that stands out for me is when you were talking about how is this situation now? You know, so many things in life are unpredictable and you really need to look at the now and look within yourself. Absolutely. And, you know, oftentimes there's so much information available to you about another person when it comes to to relationships. And we want so much to have connections. That's how we're wired. You know, that's such a a priority for, for most people. And it's something that I speak to my clients about all the time and what we spend most of the time on in therapy is the things that lead them to deny what they need and and deny that what they want. So there's all sorts of patterns and experiences in our childhood that mean that we end up doing this. And so we end up overlooking or deprioritizing what we need because we want the connection so much. And I think it's really important to know that it's possible to have loving and respectful relationships and that if you don't seek that out and if you don't think that you deserve it, then you're not going to get it, that you really need to prioritize and think carefully about what you want and think carefully about what does a loving relationship look like to me and what does a loving relationship look like to me in relation to money? What would that look like for me? How would, it, how would I feel about it? And then go and get that and don't settle for any less. 
What an amazing interview. I honestly feel like the last scene in The Breakfast Club walking away from that was like my fist in the air being like, <laughs> yes, support me. <laughs> yeah, and Zoe actually, because we do these with a video going as well, but we just take away the audio. And Zoe did start physically fist popping in the interview at the end there because what Sarah is saying is so powerful and so important. And I'm so happy that we were able to get her on the show. I've been to some Brug <laughs> concerts and I've never been that pumped up in my life. <laughs> and like, the thing is, we're both in pretty happy relationships so you weren't pumped up because you're like I need a break up with Ollie you were like is that fair yeah no I wasn't I'm not not planning to break up with him I was just pumped up because I was like yes speak the truth speaking what I think yeah exactly exactly one of the key things that I really liked hearing from her was how in relationships we bring it's like an exchange of different forms of energy and one of them might be money but it doesn't have to be money it might be it's like your love languages that um most people might know about but I know with Pete, he is a real actions person, whereas I'm a real words person. And that's just an exchange of our energies. So one of my learnings was definitely the fact that you shouldn't make your choices based on how you think the other person's going to react. You should do it for you. And your choices don't reflect how much you love the other person. Yeah, like keeping your finances separate. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So if you choose to keep your finances separate and your partner wants to join them, it's not a reflection on your partner that you don't want to join finances. It's a personal choice. Yeah. It's not, what you're saying is it's not a reflection that you don't love them. It's just, you're allowed to make your own decisions that make you feel comfortable. And it doesn't mean that you don't love them because you can exchange energies in different ways. Exactly. And money is such a personal topic and an intimate topic that you can keep that to yourself to an extent. You shouldn't be hiding things from your partner and doing the dodgy on the down low. But you do have the right to look after your finances how you want to look after them. Yeah, and I like how Sarah said, be in tune with your emotions and what you feel and do what's right for you and don't settle for any less. Like I love that line. It's so true. It's as Satbeer, our first interviewer, would say, it's all shades of grey. We'd love to hear from you if you want to reach out to us with any story that you have or anything that happened to you after hearing this. And I know that Sarah would love to hear that as well. And so you can reach us on Meet Pay Love on Instagram or you can email us at either carmel at equitymates.com or zoe at equitymates.com. We'd love to hear from you. So if this conversation has triggered anything for you on a personal level, there's a few places you can reach out to. You can reach out to Lifeline on 13 11 14. QLife, which is LGBTQIA specific on 1800 184 527 or Beyond Blue on 1300 22463 and all of these numbers will be in the show notes below next episode we'll be talking to the happy family lawyer clarissa raywood about prenups and financial agreements here's a little grab from her for the next week what i think is important and particularly for young people starting relationships and i guess this is the now 40 something year old woman reflecting on her own life and maybe learning along the way having conversations about money is a really difficult thing to do but a really important thing to do And if you are in a situation where you might have some wealth, where a financial agreement can be really helpful is it gives you a framework to talk about what would happen if our relationship ended with the things that I already have, with the things that you already have. How do we want to manage our money when we're together? How do we see that we're going to acquire assets? What might happen if one of us was to take time away from work to raise children? And these are really important conversations to have in any relationship. We'll see you next week for another show of Meet, Pay, Love. 
This podcast proudly brought to you by Equitymates Media. Always remember, all information contained in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, financial, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Equitymates are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to our disclaimer page where you can find resources to search for a registered financial professional near you.